I mean, we could do the open discussion and just kind of touch on the two things that you wanted to touch on for the week, since there's so few of us. Uh, Especially since the the topics that were picked for the week are very quick, so to speak. Yeah, they are. They're direct this this week. Yeah, I'll read them. Um, So we're not going to do a moderated discussion this session, but I'll just read the two topics. Uh, One, now that Bernie has suspended his campaign, what do you think the next steps of Bernie Sanders' movement will be? It's a good direct direct one. Thank you, Caroline, our assistant producer, for uh, for providing these topics every week. Uh, Topic two, around 17 million people have filed for unemployment in three weeks. The current stimulus package excludes many struggling people. What do you think it would take to get the federal government to implement an unconditional UBI? So this is very much our our core focus here. What would it take? Um, so yeah, and also uh, you have other stuff you wanted to talk about this week uh, relating to electoral politics, poverty, UBI. So um, before we get too deep into the episode, I think we should introduce ourselves. Yeah, we should. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, my name's Shale, and uh, you are. I am Sheridan. I am a UBI advocate from the great state of New Mexico. And uh, I'm kind of excited Bernie dropped out, but I'm kind of saddened that it was this entire process. You cut out the last part. Uh, You're kind of sad that what? It was through this entire process, like this entire primary process. I have some gripes up and I'll go on to that in the open discussion. Yeah, for sure. Um, Before we do get into the gripes, though, uh, Distant, could you please introduce yourself? Hello, I am Diz Don. Um, I one of the greatest am... Castlevania three players in the world. <laughs> I'm still trying, dang it. Though I am working on getting to be one of the best Little Mermaid players as well. Really? <laughs> Apparently, I'm two minutes from world record on that already. That's great. Well, congratulations. But, uh, no, yeah. Yes. Three well, hours. Politics. <laughs> yeah, it's politics. Um, I, I after uh, I introduced you I, up first, yeah. <laughs> I, I co I co-founded and uh, helped run a an LGBT plus um, charity marathon on Twitch, utilizing members of the retro and speedrunning communities that I am a part of. I also am a pro UBI advocate and uh, definitely uh, armchair politician, philosopher, whatever you want to call it. And unfortunately, I'm in a trans. I've been transplanted into Montana, so my vote doesn't count in the primary for or the general. Because guess what? Trump's going to win Montana. And where did you come from again before Montana? Minnesota, hmm. the, the land of ten thousand lakes, and the air hurts your face. And, and uh, again, why did you land in Montana? My wife got a job as a history teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we. <sighs> that's that's relevant. You know, you, you were shuffled around by the economy. Now you're in this new state. Hmm. And very shuffled because there's literally no jobs for me out here. Yeah. Actually, why don't you talk about that transition, Deston? Because that was one of the biggest uh, components of Yang's campaign and one of his biggest reasons for a basic income to help interstate dynamism. Well, yeah, as far as that goes, like before we moved, I was working, uh, we, we lived in Moorhead. Uh, Minnesota. My wife was uh, looking for a full-time teaching job while substitute teaching full part-time. I mean, you could call it full-time since she was substituting every day because she had specific places that she was able to do on a daily basis, including the uh, juvenile detention center. Uh, But my job was I was working for the communication services for the deaf. And uh, what happened there was I worked uh, very 
much uh, online uh, and help people who are deaf or hard of hearing make phone calls, usually to doctors, sometimes to family members. So, I mean, I was working, well, when I was healthy enough to show up because of many health problems I was dealing with, uh, we were working uh, with deaf and hard of hearing people. They would uh, either use a typewriter um, telephone type deal mostly for the older people and the younger people had either an app on their cell phone or an app uh, website they could go to on their computer to uh, log in and basically do the same thing uh, to where they could uh, have me place calls for them and be their ears and their voice. Um, So that was really, really, I, I really enjoyed that job because I was helping people. I am hard of hearing in the left ear but not so much that I would need that service, but it is something that I am very glad that it exists. Um, When I moved, uh, I was able to collect some unemployment for a little bit uh, due to the circumstances of the move and everything, Uh, but I was unable to find stable work. I've been working, uh, I guess you could call it as a gig worker. Um, I had a semi-consistent work from home opportunity, but because of coronavirus and various things, I got uh, let go from that where I was an independent contractor. And there's a few others that I've been trying to do here and there, one of which is uh, narration for audiobooks. But uh, again, it's very, very hard for me to find stable income out here where, uh, especially with the coronavirus, there's like nowhere is open except for the grocery store. And I have applied multiple times at the grocery store and uh, either because I'm an unknown in the area or because everybody is looking for work right now, they are full staff. So it is, it's very, very difficult. And UBI would really help. I can really relate with that because um, New Mexico is one of those similar states. Our economy is contracting overall, and there's only a handful of hot spots, and it's very well defined by our population. Albuquerque and Santa Fe are the only two real cities, and they're still small cities in this state. Everything else is more of a township. And the reason those two cities have half a million for Santa Fe and a million for Albuquerque is because Santa Fe is the government uh, central and Albuquerque is a college central. Las Cruces is also a pretty pretty well-sized in the six digits. Um, they also have a pretty sizable university there. But the main thing that they all have in common is government dollars. Government dollars are funding these cities by and large. And it's one of the biggest examples that we need to just fund everyone so that we can ubiquitously grow. I mean, that's the thing is they don't understand because trickle down economics is still apparently a thing on both sides because neoliberals exist. Mm-hmm. And they don't call it trickle down on the left, but it is the same sort of policy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Montana, for those who are unaware, it is very largely rural. Um, there's the soil since it's very mountainous, uh, is not befitting to growing crops, except for there's a couple of specific types of wheat that they have been able to, um, over many generations, uh, selectively um, cross-pollinate to make available to 
you know, deal with this harsh condition of the soil. Uh, but for the most part, since it's a lot of prairie and prairie grass, there's a lot of uh, cattle ranching. So you're all, there's a sizable amount of your steaks and hamburger might come from here. And it's not like feedlot cattle. It is pretty good free range, like 300 to 1,000 head of cattle just sitting in a field chewing because we got the land and no people. I wish Dan were here to comment on perhaps uh, what you might do since you're in, uh, you know, Montana. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. Diston, are you familiar with Dan? Yes, I have talked with Dan. Um, unfortunately, I believe Dan is in the western part of Montana, yeah. so he he would might might have options for me that are three hours or plus away yeah. to try to. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you'll be able to help with his campaign as a state insider. To, you know, yeah, I would be hella excited. I remember. Uh, Jeff Sessions came to New Mexico to do some stupid rally for Trump. And I drove three hours to Las Cruces to help protest him. And I was waving a giant flag bedazzled in cannabis leaves. Oh, yeah. And do you want to just summarize who Jeff Sessions is for for context for anyone? He is the fired attorney general that Richard Richard Barr has replaced. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is a longtime cannabis opponent, and I actually believe he used to be a cannabis supporter. I think How that, does he that ha- happen? I think that he had a very extreme greenout experience as breeding improved and the uh, THC levels improved. He was on the first hand experience of the genetics really taking form in the chemical. So you think this person had an individual experience so profound that he is now projecting it into policy for everyone? That seems like a very irresponsible way to lead. You think you expect better from the Republicans? Honestly, I don't expect better from any politician at this point. At this point, I mean, I think nonpartisanship is key going forward. I think I'm really, I don't want to participate in the branding of like, you expect better from Republicans when Democrats are just as bad. I know. I I really can't use that anymore because only a year has gone by and Democrats have really dropped the ball hard. Just say the establishment. It truly is. The establishment, yes. The bipartisan establishment. We we need to talk with... Uh, who was it that was on on Tuesday with me a while back? The dude who's going to law school because the fact that the oh, RNC Travis. and the D, yeah, Travis, with the RNC and the DNC both being private for profit companies, they 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 needs they need to be eradicated. They they need to be removed from politics because they are not serving the greater good at all. They're serving their own financial gain over the greater good and it is fucking ridiculous it's experiment there's yeah there's a uh youtuber called um legal eagle or uh legal review but he Mm -hmm. does uh think like a lawyer uh videos and he actually analyzed the most recent insider training trading oh yes i saw Uh, that video it was great it was a fantastic video and it really highlights how Yes, they can get away with it because they can get away with it. But there's also written laws that simply aren't being enforced. Well, yeah. Now, what do you do about that? Well, that's the cultural norms thing. For example, the office of the presidency has been held in such high regard. The reason Trump is getting away with literally crisis after crisis is because 
when you became president, you knew you were taking up the position of the first person of the world. And Trump doesn't fully understand or comprehend all the norms and culture that comes with that. He's truly a failed businessman who's been failing upward his entire life. Yeah. Because money. Exactly. Inherited money. Lots of inherited money. Lots of inherited of, money. Uh, God, how much How much did they adjust for almost, inflation? Like almost two billion? Quarters, almost three quarters of a billion is what I believe he wasted, and everything else was just speculation. And what's the yeah, answer so, to this to this disaster of a president who failed up is the uh, the system that brought us the president who failed up. The system that fails people up is coming. Oh, let's just get back to the norm. Here's someone who more typically represents the system. Let's have Biden. I, so I actually, how is that exciting? <laughs> let's yeah. have an old white neoliberal yeah. with on to Bernie. incredibly terrible <laughs> policies. Oh, cool. Let's uh, go on to Bernie. Yeah, Bernie dropped out uh, yesterday or the day before. The day before. Two days ago. So Wednesday. Wednesday is when uh, Bernie uh, dropped out. And I'm kind of saddened. I'm glad that he dropped out. It was a responsible thing to do to help close the voting locations. He should have done it before Wisconsin. But I mean, it's not his responsibility. The fact that the, it, uh, yeah. it's not his responsibility, I completely agree. But he could have been responsible. You're, you're right. That's I mean, my like, be, be, I mean, like, there's sort of a, a contradiction inherent in me saying it's not his responsibility because if you have the power to do something about it, in a way, it is your responsibility, even if systemically it's not. But sorry, go on. Absolutely. Um, it was not Bernie's responsibility, but Bernie could have been responsible and seen this. That's my overall argument against Bernie is he's not responsible enough to see. That's why see he's what? to see anything, he, to see the current context. He is for 40 years been touting the same message, which has been a good message. I am not I'm not trashing it. Medicare for all is absolutely what we need right now. And However, the fact that he's been ago. using that. The fact but that he's he using that same act. Uh, that please same, let me to be uh, oh, sorry. Uh, clear on what I mean by this. Uh, he does not look at the current context. If he had seen what was going on in 2016, he probably would have uh, given money from his campaign to the DNC and tried to buy his way in. If he had looked around in 2020, he would have seen Marianne Williamson, Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang real progressive voices he could have made a coalition around. He especially missed out on Yang because Yang was grabbing the politically homeless. Almost 40% of our population that can vote. And that's not even including the other 20% that hasn't even registered to vote. Yeah, All those people of- he could have built a massive coalition on. So what, Sorry, do, you think, what do you think he failed? Why... Why was there not a coalition built? Why was it sort of a, just everyone on their own island, so to speak? It's all in his slogan. He's projecting so hard. If you just play opposite day with his slogans, it's painful to read. The slogan is not, not me, us. Yeah. Not me, us. It's unfortunately not us, me. Hmm. That was basically his whole campaign strategy. And it was shown through his leadership, middle management and supporters. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Uh, when you construct an organization, the only thing you as a leader can do is project a culture and help create that culture. And he, Bernie never did that. He just allowed it to be whatever and ideology gripped it. 
Huh. Well, for example, if uh, he had seen Andrew Yang's uh, platform at all, and I'm sure he did, he told Andrew, you have good ideas. He only picked up a basic income. If he had picked up the American scorecard instead, that would have been a monumental change to his campaign and the message it was pushing. Indeed. The way he has yet to. Structured, you know. Go on. I know that was my last thing to dist on. He has yet to put it on yet. He's taken up the UBI and doubled it. I admire him for that, but that's, you know, a cover band is only so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you say that, but you're asking for him to play all the songs, you know? You say, play all Andrew's yeah. songs. Yeah. Like I said, a cover <laughs> band can only be so good, but it would be better than what we have. Hey, okay, hey, I, hey, I see hey, what you're getting at. I, I, see, yeah, I see what you're getting at. I, I know of a semi-local band in Minnesota, North Dakota, that's a cover band of ACDC that is all female-fronted, which is just as good, if not better, than ACDC. Yes, like I said, a cover band can be so good, but Bernie is that cover band who's mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. Well, he only wants to play like you know one or two of the songs. He mostly wants to play his own his own exactly song. his own they his own creative old. things i mean they're, they're old, old classics like, he needs new yeah, stuff classics I, I i think so the way this the primary is structured in america even the primary uh, is ossified like once you establish your platform which you establish in inconvenient isolation from anyone usually i mean you shouldn't but i mean because you're competing you sort of establish your platform in isolation from your competitors and you all trot them out that's actually one way. of the yeah. biggest changes of this primary this primary has been the most policy-heavy primary I think we've ever seen in the past four decades. This has been an incredible primary. And I think we should have more primaries like this with a few very fundamental changes. Because think about how many competitors, real competitors, that got money and got onto the DNC stage. We had 20 people that actually had enough money and enough of a platform to make it onto that first stage. And it was whittled out pretty quick after those first few debates. We went down to what, 10, the second debate. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, The problem is the whittling down. You have to really think about what the system does when it whittles down. And this system fundamentally both sides of the aisle because of the culture that it came up in is money driven. And Sadly, the reason Obama picked Biden as a VP wasn't because he liked Biden. He didn't really like the guy at all. He picked him because he had money money, money. and connections. He needed to have information on D.C. more than what Obama could muster. And that's basically been Biden's whole strategy. Senile, but lean on old friends. And it works. It's, It's what won, and it's a disaster. It, it's, it is such an indictment of the system, and yet there are no checks or balances that can change the system. I, I want to bring up that thunder that uh, cover band for uh, all of our listeners. It's called Thund Her Struck, and it, yes. uh, it already looks solid. Oh, yeah. I, I've I hope heard them Spotify. a couple times. They're pretty good. I'm checking them out after this. Um, but yes, our primary system needs to be reformatted to be more um, popular and more um, democratic. And we can do that. We have the technology. We don't need to have a couple thousand people sit in a room, listen to people on a stage, and then do an exit poll as they leave. We can have people download a government app 
and watch the debate from the government app and then poll them. But then and we can do where, it securely. Where do we get our corporate sponsorship jackets? I completely agree. This is going to be a fundamental change from for-profit business lobbying. And I, I'm a pluralist. I 100% believe businesses should have a way to have their uh, voice heard. And money is a great way to do that. But it's unequal right now. When they need they, to find a way to equalize. When they institutionalized lobbying through Citizens United, they left out the American people in that negotiation. And I'm shocked that the Supreme Court, the Court of America, left out its citizens, the jury. It's pretty funny. But that's what needs to happen, is we need to get money into people's hands through initiatives like democracy dollars if we want to even begin to have a hope to even out the scales. And I think Andrew Yang's $100 was admirable. It should be like $1,000 a person, and it should be every year. So we can do local and municipal elections as well off the federal budget. Because we've already proven through quantitative easing infinity that the Fed's dollar is infinite. (laughs) So, uh, Distan... Did you have any thoughts on our primary process? You said a lot about it. Uh, My only thing that I would like to say is that there is a very, there's a very big problem with the way that they're doing the primary process. And the main thing is that they require you to register as a Democrat in order to vote in most Democratic uh, primaries or Republican to vote in most Republican for, primaries. For our audience, he just on here is referencing the open and closed primary system, and some states have enshrined that in law. Some states have enshrined in law that they have open primaries. You can check your states pretty easily from your state legis.gov and just use your acronym of your state. Yep, and the thing is, is that we need more often to have open primaries because there's a lot of people who don't register for one party or the other. As you stated, there's the Yang picked up a lot of independence, a lot of the people who were not within either party. And that is, that is the big problem why he was unable to prosper in the uh, primaries, despite having such high poll numbers, he was unable to get votes because of, yeah, and the caucuses as well are very undemocratic. Um, Yeah, the Iowa caucus was a uh, a clusterfuck. Just to put it lightly, that's like a gargantuan understatement, is it was a clusterfuck. But I, I, (laughs) I have a pet theory that if Yang was where Klobuchar was in that Iowa caucus, we'd be having a very different conversation. But Mm -hmm. it's just a joke. The only reason why Klobuchar was where she was in the Iowa caucus is because she is a senator from Minnesota, which is just Mm -hmm. north of Iowa. But as a person who voted for a third-party candidate against her multiple times because she had a lot of trouble in her past and was not a very good candidate... Uh, she is definitely very hard neoliberal. Uh, she is definitely very pro-prison uh, as a Democrat and the prison industrial complex. 
because wow, she's four uh, corporations taking over and profiting off of the American people. She consummate yeah, uh, neoliberal. Yeah, she has. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if if it was when she was a lawyer or if like her husband worked for prisons, but one way or another, she was involved heavily before she got into politics in the process of. Uh, turning some of the Minnesota prisons into for-profit prisons and helping fill them up with low-grade... Oh, yeah, totally, a Democrat. Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, The only reason why she won is because she ran as a Democrat and she knows it. There's no difference. I mean, this is the stuff we have to start pointing out. There's no difference between Democrats and Republicans in the establishment. A private prison Democrat is not a progressive... And not no, significantly better not than a Republican, they are to be completely disregarded in the same way as like Donald Trump. It's not that, that is that is one of the big things that we we're going to have to help shift in our political thinking is that the policies are the person, and, and when that is... how they craft the policies is the person. If if they didn't want that to be said about I them, they wouldn't let it be said. Let's keep that one. Uh, let's keep that verbiage. The policy is the person. It is alliterative. It is memorable. It is impactful and succinct. Let's repeat it. That's great. And honestly, I really think that's very true about Biden because I'm having a hard time thinking of one policy that's solely his. He's so milk toast. But senilism, I do know him as. That's the thing. Is The only thing that he has cribbed from... Bernie right now is literally the most worst version of Medicare for all that you could have outside of the booty gig Medicare for some. And you want to know what's really painful is AOC let the cat out of the bag. She specifically told the media. And if Biden actually could see Biden has the same problem Bernie does. And I think it's a boomer problem is not looking at the current context uh, is if he, she had, if uh, Biden had watched, I'm so sorry. What did I just bring up? I lost it. Well, Biden uh, has not really crafted much policy of his own. Although I will say, I, I do want to point out one bit of policy Biden did help craft, which is the bill that removed the right of uh, students to discharge college loan debt through bankruptcy. So. Uh, yeah, he that's something he can that? take credit for. He did. He was one of the chief oh authors. Oh my goodness, that's oh actually puts him in the same. Seems like it's more than most of what Trump's done, right? <laughs> I mean, economically, that's it's a Betsy DeVos policy money right Boeing. there. Yeah, economically, it's like even more egregious than uh, these these bloated handouts to the already super rich and powerful corporations cutting. The heels of a uh, of college students in debt who can't discharge, preventing the ability to discharge your student loan debt. That is one of the most heinous heinous things you can do economically. It really is. I, I'm just glad That's that Obama I'll reinstated. Never forget I'll never the, vote for him. Yeah, he Obama reinstated the uh, ability with the for profit colleges to contest with a defense of repayment. Because that's the only reason why I am not uh, about, a, I don't know, $75,000 in debt right now. Because I'm just waiting for Betsy DeVos to get off her ass and actually, you know, approve down the line all of them from actual colleges that said they were accredited but were uh, not accredited. I'm really sorry to disappoint you, this Don, but 
her Botox has stiffened. I know. She ain't getting on that ever. I'm hoping that her Botox goes wrong and they can replace her with someone better. So one of the topics this week is what is next for the Bernie Sanders movement after the suspension of his campaign. We, you know, we were talking about how the establishment is pretty much the same except for branding on the Democratic and Republican side. With that framework, what do you do with a failed Democratic insurgency? I mean, personally, I think you move it nonpartisan and you start saying, hey, we have to stop pretending Democrats are better than Republicans. We have to stop uh, ignoring our potential Republican allies because we need help over we need help from everybody and we can't just afford to disregard half of our poor and working class people who we need to help us. You know? I mean, that that the thing is, is that Bernie has only only been a Democrat in the last two presidential yeah, elections. That's right. He switched from being nonpartisan, independent to Democrat for both of them in order to get on the ballot. Why in the ever love of fuck did he not decide when Hillary snubbed him for the VP nom in 2016? Why didn't he run as a third party? Because why didn't he align himself? I think when you run bullshit, when you run, I mean, I, I, when you run, uh, break the fucking contract. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, the DNC makes you promise you will not run third party if you do attempt to win their nomination. Well, guess what? They need, we need them to realize just how bad Biden is and how bad Trump is and either put themselves behind, as Jeremy is saying in chat, Howie Hawkins from the Green Party or, 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 or running independent as themselves. Fuck, fuck the contract. They can pay the fines for breaking the contract. Breaking a contract isn't going to put you in prison for breaking a contract with a stupid fucking private corporation trying to parade itself as a part of the political establishment. That is that is just dumb, thinking that that has any real sway over you. So yeah, my... I mean, my I, I'd like to see him disregard the contract, but I mean... It's I, not going to happen, so not, he second plays best... Ball, you know? He, he's, he second, plays ball. Second best is what uh, was discussed in a hypothetical in the political chat of Friday Night Fan Fiction podcast discord that I was discussing with Steve O'Bortz and other mutuals of yours like uh, David Brushfire Hubbard and those, and uh, that hopefully Biden is smart enough to make him a cabinet pick, hopefully for HUD or some other similar position. Wait, to make whom a cabinet pick? Bernie. Ah, I don't think so. He's completely antithetical to his politics. They don't want to put him in any kind of, I mean, why? Uh, that's I, that's I mean, why it was a hypothetical. That, that he, he can't see. I don't think he's going to see Bernie as a cabinet pick because Bernie's already a senator. Yeah. Plus, I mean, like, I don't know if Bernie would even want that. Bernie probably can do more good in the Senate. He's not going to be able to work. In, in Joe's cabinet. I don't think that's viable for a number. I, I of think but I hear, Yang I, I mean, is I hear more likely strategically. To it was a hypothetical. Into, yeah. Pop into I don't that think Yang is, is like, you know, it's Biden has never surprised me. He's never surprised anyone. He's always nope. done the standard thing. So I, I can't imagine him at the end of his career going, yeah, unorthodox now. I'm going to pick uh, Andrew Yang from a cabinet. No, why would he? He doesn't have oh, to I make any agree. choices. I don't, yeah, think he, just, I don't think he is. That's why I said I think Yang is more likely than Bernie. Well, I mean, he's not going to get to pick a cabinet. He's not going to be president. Uh, even if he, 
I, I'm only 50% uh, sure he's going to even be there in November. But I'm even actually, if he is, I, I have no yeah. idea, honestly, because the Electoral College is what really swings this. And I'm not sure where they're sitting. Because 2016 was a genuine shock as well. I mean, I, I understand the chaos ca- candidate and getting things shaken up. But even then, the, the Electoral College is such an establishment tool. But the numbers with the... Uh... With the under 45 vote so staunchly opposed to Biden and so unhappy and angry with the, with the culture right now, uh, how in the world could Biden win? He doesn't have This a is base. a purely political uh, equation that the establishment is weighing. How angry can we make people that they won't riot and that they will stay home and not vote? And I really think that they, they're weighing that question seriously right now with Biden. Well, uh, they're lucky they're, I don't live in D.C. They're not, I would be at Congress every day with a sign. Well, it doesn't matter. Tallying the numbers. They're on paid vacation right now. Really? They are. They are on paid That's vacation. That's why I can't get a hold of anyone. And they can't vote remotely yet. Even when they come back, they're going to go into Congress and, not, and vote in person. And some people won't go because of the coronavirus crisis. So it's even more dysfunctional. You're talking about the primary specifically. I'm talking about active Congress Congress right now in four weeks. Oh no, Congress. Yes, yes, yes. We're talking about Congress too. But before that, we were talking about, um, yeah, the primary process and, and how, uh, it's badly rigged and how Bernie is, Mm -hmm. is, uh, out now and what his ramifications will be. Yeah. But I mean, you're saying they want, you know, to, to see how much they can pressure people without having them riot. Uh, but specifically with the primary, you're saying. I mean, in the uh, no, I think that they're doing that in in, in the Congress general? right now. Like, not even in okay. the election. This is actively in the I current see. administration and current current establishment government. I, I doubt the, they're thinking. Do you think they're thinking about it in those terms? Maybe they are. I'm not. I don't think the entire administration, especially our current leadership, is thinking about that specific question. I think they're thinking more on their personal political issues. But I do think that the Democratic leadership is potentially uh, weighing those issues. Again, this is just speculation. Maybe. The thing about the November election, um, think about who will go out and vote and who won't in the face of like, you know, potential second wave of coronavirus. It's the Trump supporters who are passionate and uh, have a sense of their own invincibility. Well, some of them, some of them just don't believe in things they can't see, like viruses. Uh, and, you know, they have lived lives where they've been lied to by their institutions. So I understand this sort of baseline. Institutional distrust is nearly ubiquitous at this point. It's, it's amazing that our institutions still have the amount of influence they do. But the, yeah, the Biden voters who the the coalition of Biden voters is wall street and like, you know, suburban cultural elites, they're not going to go out to vote for Biden, the vote for Biden. They're not excited about Biden the way Trump voters are excited about Trump. They're, 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 they, 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 he's a compromise agree. to begin with. They, they, even if they do, there are just not enough of them. It's such a small coalition now. It is Wall Street, suburban voters, and in some southern states, black voters. That's all well, the Democrats here's, have. Here's the hilarity. If you want some um, hope that Trump won't get picked again by Wall Street, this stock market crash is 100% on Trump. Oh, yeah. He, he could have easily gone America first and done controversial travel bans, which isolated America from the rest of the world for four months while this coronavirus crisis is going on. 
He said he looked left it at open. this crisis and looked at his political career and became a chicken in headlights and just balked. What else has he ever done? I, I completely agree. He is, for the first time in his life, karma has delivered him a high-stakes job where he cannot fail, and it's really eating at him that he constantly fails. This is completely deserved on him, but horrifying for the rest of us. Do you think he gets the sense he's failing? I can't tell. Oh, no. No, not at all. I, I think once he gets to the end of his presidency, it's going to all hit him at once, and he's going to have an existential crisis. I don't think so. I don't think he'll ever realize he's made a mistake ever in his life. He's just not gotten that kind of feedback. The only way he'll realize he's made a mistake is if there is a hell and he goes there. But that's it. That's it. There's He's too much of a narcissist. He's hit the light. I, I think karma is more likely to happen than uh, him going to hell. Maybe. Maybe. But karma isn't assured. <laughs> it doesn't oh, seem I like completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. Karma, especially in a single lifetime, isn't assured. Even, even among the uh, traditional uh, interpretation of it, it can span multiple lifetimes and lead you to the, your next. So he may become like an experimental fly in a lab. So on the note of karma not being assured, what if the stock market doesn't crash? What if quantitative easing infinity just keeps working through the November it probably election? will. Yeah. The, it, it will up until we see inflation. Because right now, the current crisis is delivering us deflation as people aren't spending in the macro economy. But once this crisis comes over, and if they, which honestly, if Trump wins another four years, I absolutely see him going, let's do more quantitative easing. That was great for the market. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's going to create genuine hyperinflation in the American dollar, which is going to be something unprecedented. Yeah, that might actually create real change. What it will trigger is a re-evaluation of the underlying theory that quantitative easing is completely based off of. So I think we can see that in January 2021. The uh, quantitative easing theory is based off of modern monetary theory, which basically describes fiat currency as it is, as just something people are inspired enough to trade with. Mm-hmm. And it describes yep. this money creation as purely inflation. And the only way to limit such an inflation is through incredible taxes and specifically targeted taxes in the inflationary sectors to create a more, uh, an increased demand for the currency so that the inflation goes down. And if, if we our economists and the Fed are smart enough to work with the House of Representatives, that might actually become a bill that the senators in the, are going to fight. And if we blue wave the Senate in this cycle... There may not be a fight. <laughs> I don't see a blue wave, though, because, you know, the ah. Democratic Party is in shambles with its with its coalition split in two. That's one of the biggest things I, I have to urge all of our listenership. Your vote matters on the con- congressional and local levels. The presidential level is absolutely capped out by the Electoral College. But your local and your representatives in the Senate and the House count on your vote and it is first focus past down the ticket. post it absolutely focus down ticket find out who represents you in your lower offices and make sure you know who represents your values in this primary because local primaries may still be happening they may be happening by mail and you need I to know be registered ours usually happen by mail yeah 
you need to be registered with the party that you most identify with and that has your candidate if you want to receive one of their um, primary ballots. It's so hard to get people to think in that way where they go, yeah, I'm going to go vote even though the presidential election is is kind of a yeah, wash. Yeah, the president, everything else. I mean, it already sucks. Congress matters more, but people don't think about it that way. You know, Congress makes the laws. The president does not have the power of Congress. It's Absolutely. just that Congress is made up of a lot of people and the president has more power than any individual Congress member. Exactly. The but presidency Congress, is the highest seen. office, but collectively, the lower offices easily outweigh it. Even the Supreme it's, Court it's, yeah. outweighs both branches because of its um, ability to defeat a declaration of war from the executive. And Supreme Court also has that lovely clause of lifetime. Uh, that's actually controversial. Uh, the legislature could easily put term limits on the uh, Supreme Court or expand or reduce the Supreme Court size. Um, the legislature have controls to the seven shape years, of it. Right? Seven years was Yang's uh, proposal no, for, for the, what was the Supreme limit? Was Court was 18. Yeah. 18 years? Okay. That yes. is like, I think he said, essentially, that's a lifetime appointment. It's a lifetime, like, you know, it's a cultural block. And he wanted to do a second thing. He wanted to expand the Supreme Court so that each president would elect two um, Supreme Court justices over an eight-year term. Essentially, one every four years. Yeah, that's a better way. It's not going to happen, but it's a better way. Uh, that's uh, a very common occurrence. Not going to happen. But it's a better way. But the way we have is, yes, if you, if your representative in Senate or the House is up for a re-election, find out who their opponent is and leverage them to support your positions. Call them and tell them you will vote against them and vote specifically by name for their opponent. If they do not come out publicly and endorse UBI, the American Scorecard, Medicare for All, or whatever niche issue you need. You know, even That's at the local plan. level, like a token support of UBI could be like $10 for everybody in my city or a dollar for everybody in my city. You know, that's okay. If you don't have real money, like if you don't have it in the budget, I think it's okay to do like a $1 to run oh, 100%. Like city, run for mayor or city council on a platform, on partially your platform being, I will give like $2 to every person in, in this city, like, yeah, like absolutely. Every, every year or every month, whatever you can do just I'll, to get uh, your foot in the door for UBI. I'll give you my completely uncredentialed opinion on what the minimum amount could be. I think in America, to make a real difference on an entire state, on pretty much any state, the lowest amount you need is at a multiple of 100. So 800 or maybe $200. It's a large enough magnitude to give you enough divisibility to effectively trade with. Yeah, and that'd be huge for a city that suddenly has that when it didn't. That would be millions of dollars every month just splashed into the uh, immediate consumer hands. Yeah, especially during uh, this moment where everyone's lost their jobs, even like a hundred bucks would get people absolutely. Know, buying and dinner instead of I like think a, you know, we should move on at a time. to the small business issue of the stimulus package. Because I have a lot of issues with the stimulus package for small businesses. Hello, Ariel. Hi, guys. Hey, so, Ariel. Um, one second, though. Uh, Jeremy was posing in the chat. Uh, look at the crazy disconnect with unemployment numbers and the recent stock gains. 
That's oh, similar yeah. enough to what we were talking about to where we should segue into that like right fucking now. Because you got it, one hundred percent. So uh, this is a brilliant, brilliant case study of what our system delivers and how the American scorecard is the fundamental change that needs to be picked up. And it costs nothing. It literally costs the leadership telling a manager in the IRS measurement department to go use these instead. Steve Ballmer, usafacts.org, has already created a massive system of measurements we could copy. That was the core thesis of Andrew Yang's scorecard. But this disconnect could actually ramp up hard because of what Andrew Yang has been uh, theorizing is we're going to see 10 years of automation and upgrades in 10 weeks because of this crisis. Oh, yeah. It's already happening. I've got friends in... If if you want to ever leverage the stock market, now is the time. If you can put your money away for 10 years, now is the time. Because the stock market is about to get obscene and it's going to possibly cause riots because the disconnect is going to get greater and greater. The unemployment graph is going to start looking like the stock graph. Don, you said you have uh, people in tech you know and you can comment with specifics on the advancement in automation that's happened because of the Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of friends in tech, um, many of whom are utilizing the fact that they're working from home now and uh, their company is working on some automation and algorithms to help them do their job from home. And they have already stated that they're basically being told that because of the amount of money the company is saving with the work from home inundation that we're doing with coronavirus, that we are fucking going, we're, we're going we, we're, we're going towards automation and work from home, especially in the tech industry where you can remote in to everything. And they're realizing that they can save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if not more, just by basically making their offices only for hiring and firing. I mean, they, they don't need their offices. They don't even anymore. need that. They can just virtually hire and fire you, you know? They don't need an They're not to that all. point yet, but they're they're not to that point yet as far as from what I've been hearing from certain friends, but they're uh they're getting there. And that's the thing is when we've got a sector as huge as tech, and I mean huge as in the fact that the majority of the largest companies in the United States from Amazon to Facebook to Twitter to Google, all of them are tech. All of them are billions and billions of dollars of tech every year. And they're all moving to remote. They're moving remote. They're moving automation. And they're, they're driving this theory in to where, you know, in the near future, we're not going to have the actual human jobs that we we're expecting to have, especially after the coronavirus, because they're starting to realize even in my small area that, you know, what, what is getting more use, uh, the actual cashiers or the two self-checkout stands self-checkout. It's actually interesting to know that now, like Wi-Fi is a necessity now, like internet access and uh, devices are not luxuries any longer. At all. 
Like they are, you know, part and parcel of modern day life. If you don't have them, like you are not part of this reality, basically. It's, uh, it's, yeah. I'm not sure if uh, Diston was here last week when I described to you how my power went out last week on a Thursday for a handful of hours. And I nearly panicked because I, I need electricity for all my things to do in my life especially now that I'm isolated at home. I've still got books, but I totally feel you on that. Um, and uh, talking about the Wi-Fi necessity that Ariel was talking about, my wife's school district has proposed a, because they're likely going to be doing remote learning for the rest of the year and might even be starting next year on remote learning, that they're helping the parents of students by giving each student uh their family like sixty dollars a month from the school board to help pay for internet costs yep and it's and the sad truth is is if we had a more effective leadership if if we even had the potential of a more effective leadership come this fall municipalities and localities and individual organizations like that school would not have to make the massive economic sacrifice to help per, per, uh, continue their cause. We could thankfully, easily... Thankfully, we're not in that situation of the economic sacrifice on our end, because as stated before, uh, the main industry right here is uh, cattle ranching. And not only is it cattle ranching, but there's been the oil boom. So every cattle rancher has a an oil rant, an oil well. So we've got we've got a very large tax tax base, even though it's a small population. That's that's good to hear. We're lucky. Uh, New Mexico is very similar. We've had an oil boom for a couple of years, and that's been helping grow our economy. But it's it's largely rural as well. Yeah, we're like just west of the Bakken. Um, so for those who've been following the oil boom in oh, yeah. Western North Dakota, we are, we are in the same, it's the same oil patch, uh, that is expanding westward. And I mean, with the coronavirus stuff, it's going to be slowed down as far as the pipeline expansion, but it is the reason why they're very heavy Republican out here because of the oil money. Every pretty much everybody's got a hand in the oil business now, and uh, I'm I'm really glad that uh, even uh, individuals in your area have access to that because otherwise it would just be left to a private organization. And Jeremy's been posting a lot about the article in the New York Times for automation. And yeah, oh, yeah. Like this this this, ac- this epidemic is going to push automation so hard because the less we're going to realize that the less we need to leave our houses the less that we need to you know be actually social in society as far as on a daily basis with our jobs uh the more likely we are to weather these types of events better than other countries and of course money talks absolutely it does and we're going to really recognize how many people are supporting how many other people because it was pointed out in Andrew Yang's book, the war on normal people that entire regions 
are supported by social security disability insurance to the point that the only business seen is commodities at the first of the month and a handful of small restaurants. Nothing, nothing more complex or craft oriented or independent than that, because there just isn't enough flexibility in the economy. But yeah, I mean, with the the way that the economy is going, with automation going, and the severe disconnect between our stock market because of the quantitative easing zombification that has basically I, become the new normal. I agree. We, are, we need UBI so bad right now. It is not even funny. It's so bad that there's actually a stupid capitalistic way you could go around getting a basic income through quantitative easing if they opened it up to the public. It's, if they allowed individual business owners to create junk bonds and sell that to the government. Right. It's it's not quantitative easing. It's just a, a stupid tative hardening of bad ideas. Uh, you know, um, the the interesting thing is 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 like yeah, they they just kind of like make this money out of thin air, but instead of giving it to where it can really help. They, they, we've, oh yeah, that's what I want to say. We've created, like in 2008, I think our economy became a zombie. Now we're just seeing the rotting pieces of flesh falling off before our eyes. So. Absolutely. It, it's, that's a very good analogy. I was. Capitalism. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to talk more about what happened in 2008 and how that did set us up for what we're experiencing now? Oh, 2008 you... wasn't even compared to what we're going to deal with now. We're already in Great Depression number two. Uh, unemployment uh, is at 10% right now. And if it continues to be dropping jobs at the rate of millions per week, by the end of the month, it is going to be over 20%. We, we are, are building mass graves in New York City. We are looking at having you know more confirmed, and I'm going to put that in big, bold letters, confirmed deaths to coronavirus that than any other country by the end of next week because right now we just passed spain we're just behind italy by the end of the weekend we're gonna have twenty thousand dead in the u.s confirmed yeah not, not a lot gives me pause I, these days but to I, see my home state digging a mass grave uh on heart island pretty shocking i yeah, really didn't expect that it's in my lifetime truly incredible if the rotting zombie analogy was great because I want to get into small business. And if our right government ahead. for the past 10 years had had the American scorecard to look at small businesses, they would have been able to see millions unemployed in a week. They were, they were blindsided by these unemployment statistics. And might I remind our audience, the unemployment statistics that they are citing massively discount an incredible number of people depending on how those people are getting their resources. If you look at our labor participation rate, which measures how many able-bodied working age people we have working, it's going to fall below 50%. And we're going to see that we don't actually need most of our people to be actively working. And that's going to be the biggest argument defeated against UBI. It'll just make people lazy. We don't need 
those people. Let them be lazy. Get those inefficient people out of the labor market. Yeah, exactly. You know who's really lazy? Our piece of garbage leaders who oh, yeah. don't, politicians, don't think outside the box. Politicians, banks, hedge fund owners, They're all family offices are of the sterile class of capitalistic ownership. They don't do any proprietary sh- any proprietorship to consumers or production t- for other businesses. They are purely financial speculations. Right. And why, 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 what, what, yeah, they don't, they don't create anything of value at all. You know, like you want to talk about lazy, you want to talk about like all, all they have is their rhetoric and they push a bunch of buttons and they make a bunch of phone calls. That's all they do. That's not, that's not, that's not work. That's, uh, you know, that's sitting on your ass, pushing buttons, making calls and, uh, you know, using your rhetoric to get people emotional. So, uh, they suck. Screw them. We don't need them. Bye. Yep. And uh, with small businesses specifically in this stimulus package, and I'm talking about solopreneurs and entrepreneurs who are just getting started, they've been handed a great depression, which could mean the greatest opportunity of their lives or the most horrific experience of capitalism they will ever deal with. And our government, for those single people, have given them 2000 $200 for the foreseeable future. That is the most that you might be able to get in the next couple of weeks, even if you apply for the payroll protection program and you qualify. I'm getting this $200 flat total per month, total completely with your stimulus check. That is all you will get. And I'm getting this information Fun. from a YouTuber called Graham Stefan. He's a millionaire who does amazing business insight and uh, investment work. But he collated this research that shows the stimulus package for the payroll protection program is not enough money for all the employers and is not enough um, guidance from leadership to demonstrate how that money is supposed to be distributed. For example, the biggest clause of the bill that Congress was fighting for and did it was with great intentions, every business that was formulized in the United States that had at under 500 employees, no matter what, could tick a box on their loan application saying, I need $10,000 right now. And they would get it in three days. It has been over a week and a half and not a single business has seen a cent of that $10,000. Oh, and this not. shakes small business confidence throughout the entire economy. We are going into a Great Depression because of our leadership. They did not administrate nor provide enough funding for what they needed to do. Well, you said it. It's it's because of our leadership. So that means that the like we we could have avoided all of this if we just had better leadership. This was this was not inevitable. This was not like there's nothing we could have done about it. It's just nature taking its course. No. These Pieces of crap are responsible for this. This is what happens when you have leadership that sits on its laurels and is not modern and, and, and they're, they're just sitting on their hands and they're not doing anything. It's not that, oh, this would have happened to any country anywhere and it was just inevitable. No, we have pieces of filth 
as leadership who do not deserve to be in leadership because this is not going on in other countries. And 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 if we get better leadership in right now, uh, we can avoid a Great Depression too. If we put in UBI, we'll just avoid the Great Depression. There, this we will. Needless, need, it's needless suffering. It's not. It's it not is. because when you're younger, you get you get this image that like this is just the way things are, and it really can't get better because there's no way to make it better. That is a load of shit. That is a load of crap. And whoever thinks like that, maybe their lobotomy has gone wrong or they need one. I mean, like, we have to get rid of our leadership ASAP. All right, Ariel. ASAP. I, I want to get yeah. on to more yeah. uh, specific issues I have with the program as well. To the Bastille! The, the, <laughs> the loans are completely forgivable if the money is used to pay very specific things. And uh, Jeremy has been wonderful at fact-checking a lot of our stuff and providing snippets one of them set, goes, uh, stimulus aid for small business will go to some big chains. And this is like Walmart. very, this is very specific. And Hobby Lobby. Not those chains. It's, it's actually even, even bigger than you think. It oh, goes, God. Yes, this is, this goes to the Amazon? Institu- nope. The institutional elite, the banking system, the insurance system. Oh, fuck all them. the, all the debt collectors. That this money is cited out in law for, but the money still isn't in business his hands. And it's just, it's a horrible clusterfuck that we're in. And I, I love seeing the stock market rise because I just know it's going to be another fall because the reality is going to hit investors. I'm actually hoping that you're wrong. And here's why. Because if we do wind up in this Great Depression that we're looking at, being part of here in the very new future and the stock market continues to rise and trump keeps proclaiming that oh the economy is great we're doing amazing this is the best economy we've ever had we're weathering this fine and people are losing their jobs losing their homes we will have riots and then things will change i don't normally advocate for that sort of thing but right now that might be the only way we're going to get any real change after the clusterfuck of this primary season and now with what jeremy was saying that they're planning on basically being away from congress and they can't vote remotely by the way until this is over they're not going to go in and vote let and me, they need to vote <laughs> let me let me remind you what jeremy posted was that congress is considering extending recess because they cannot remote vote and even if they were Congress were to be reconvened, most Congress people would not show up to vote. So they're on paid vacation because they say they're on paid vacation and they can't work because they say they can't work. This is what happens when you have people govern themselves as a job. We should have UBI so people can figure out what life is, what time management is before they ever reach an electoral position where they are given a generous income. Like I, I and generous is not even including the bribes. Yeah, the bribes, the stocks, the incredible vehicles they have access to, being in the financial center of the world. Like seriously, like I, I don't even know how we ended up with these people as leaders. I think it was because when times in the boomer days, when when they were our age, times were going really, really good. So when times are going good and things are going well, you don't really need to show leadership. You just, you know, sit on your lazy <laughs> ass so and do it. So so then but then when times are bad, 
they don't know what the what the hell they're doing and they don't want to let go of their power and uh yeah we just end end up with with stupid uh, uh people just cor- these corrupt people but we didn't we didn't notice any of this or the people didn't because back then times were okay and now they're not <laughs> we need poor people in congress and yes. you just gave the exact reason why because these people who are in congress right now a lot of them have been there since the 70s and 80s they've been there since they were my age uh and which is you know between 30 and 35 so you know they've been there since their 30s when everything was good everything was great yeah they had to worry about the cold war but the economy was chugging along just fine they haven't had to lead they haven't had to do anything the last time they had to do any sort of quote-unquote real leadership was right after 9-11 and they dropped the ball with that too but that (laughs) that that just it's been so many years of them ignoring the entirety of the country that is suffering. And, I mean, the Republicans are were gifted a gilded calf to sacrifice to the poor and impoverished and find a way to actually do progressive policies in order to maintain power just by appeasing the Trumpers. But they didn't. And now they're looking at a possible revolution, and well, they deserve it. Right. Well, well, well. I mean, I think they've well, been well, able are to we really get looking a... at a possible re- revolution. Are we really? <laughs> Is there any indication of that? I don't. I have. Well, seen. when millions of people are put out of unemployment and their entire lives are turned upside down in an eye blink, that leaves at least hundreds of thousands of radicals who will do something. You, and we're looking know. at millions of people who can't apply for unemployment because unemployment, you have to be working 40 hours a week for three months at this, at, in most states. And, and if the, you're not working those 40 hours a week, which most people aren't, they're working 80 to 90 hours a week, but between two or three jobs that only do 30 hours a week, obviously. And so they can't get unemployment for any of their jobs they're working for, but yet they're mm-hmm. still unemployed. So right. they're not part of the number. That number is huge, but it's not the real story because it doesn't include those people. Yeah, those right. are, these initial applications are for the people who can file. I do want to remind everyone there is a horribly large number of uncounted. And it's really only going to get far worse from here because as that payment pr- uh, protection program dries up, the government has um, advised small businesses and solopreneurs and gig workers to not apply for unemployment. Right. Which is completely backwards to what they were initially trying to get across. Yeah. They expanded unemployment specifically for gig workers and specifically for starting entrepreneurs. And now the federal government is saying, no, go to the payment protection program, which doesn't have enough money. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you guys, I I gotta go in the minute the person showed up, but I just want to say this: like, I think before people were really concerned with their bread and circus, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like now, but the bread has gotten stale, and the circus is no longer entertaining. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that's all I'm I'm thinking because even well, after 2008 and nine, it was still bread and circus. Now that's kind of over. 
Before you before you bounce out of your arrow, we also had a, a nice alliterative that you'll like. The policy is the person. If someone yeah, puts out a video, Ariel, so, your so if someone puts out okay. some policy and it's being said about them, that is them. They can have it right. not be said if they wanted to. That policy right. is that person. Right. I'll I'll leave a note to that. Uh, okay, so I'll just leave, you know, my Twitter handle is Ariel's Armada, A-R-I-L-E-S underscore A-R-M-A-D-A, and you can find me on Revolutionary Thinking. It's been a pleasure, guys. I'll talk right, to you we'll guys later. It. We'll see you during yep. your group see like ya. tomorrow or the next day. I forget which one. Okay, awesome. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. Well, I'm back. Uh, I did get booted for a second as my internet dropped. My internet's been getting a little dicier, which is very concerning. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the show. You know, I, I think if there are riots, the thing that'll touch it off isn't anything political. It's going to be the internet drop. Oh, yeah. The, the lack of entertainment is what triggers all riots, all revolutions. It's There's the a proposal. It's what if, the quality yeah. of life backsliding in an unbelievably apparent way. Because humans you know, the know internet, what progress is, especially now, and we won't let it go. It is. It is. We, we have such a quality of life despite all these problems. I think one of the things keeping us from rioting is that technology has, in on other vectors, in non-economic vectors, given us a better quality of life uh, despite our poverty than we would have otherwise had. You know, like the internet yeah. is such a game changer. I, it's amazing. I, We're doing this, you know? I have a This is a luxury that ancient princes and lords did not have. <laughs> My my nightmare is that twenty years from now we won't have gotten gotten what we need. Everyone will be earning ten, twenty dollars a month and everyone will be living in poverty with incredible luxuries, catalytic luxuries like internet, like computers, like TVs. Probably holodecks will be super cheap to afford. But everyone will still have a hard time putting food on the table because food will still be five or six dollars a pound. Yeah, when you're making what, like how much did you say? Did you say ten dollars a month? Ten dollars a month from the that government. Sounds... That, okay, yeah. that does exclude all the gig work you might be able to get to go- going. Oh, God. yeah, That's my nightmare. And on the other side of that, the incredibly rich machine owners and old money elite that have already built up so much obscene wealth, they could just buy entire asteroids. (sighs) Now, I do see an incredibly bright future that's on the flip side of that. We get a generous basic income that is about a low-middle-class life. We acknowledge that not everyone is essential to our economy and not everyone is essential to the species outside of maximizing personal happiness. If we... and manage to align ourselves that way, we could, in the next 50 to 100 years, build an affordable space infrastructure that would be more valuable than the entire American federal system, which could be valued at 80 quadrillion dollars. Oh, yeah. Quadrillions. 80 quadrillion. That's that would be what, like a, a planetary trillion? project, yeah. And we For- could do it as our nation alone. If we appropriately tax and create value distributors, uh, a value creator is easier found than trained. And that's the most impactful thing that a basic income is going to do. It's going to give everyone money to prove themselves. And it's just what the elites don't want because they know exactly that it would like be a, a challenge. A yeah, exactly. They don't want people to have the opportunities that they have because then they might 
be proven not actually better and their egos they're they're they, they're just not psychically equipped to handle that kind of change especially some of them who are 80 90 years old absolutely absolutely the the one silver lining i have with the silver tsunami is there's going to be a massive wealth transfer hopefully to gen z and millennials and gen x in an appropriate fashion but it could be absorbed by institutional elites again just private organizations that have existed for thousands or in our case a couple hundred years like how how would these institutions go about sucking up what would be a middle class inheritance not having a will um if you allow your property to just be up in the air the state can easily collect it and they'll deputize banks and other institutions to uh go collect that uh in their stead it's cheaper yep. yeah i'm sure we'll see that sometimes so if you, uh, if you really want to make sure that your your wealth transfer is protected to go through to your lower generation make sure you have a will outlining it and have a lawyer notarize it and put it into the state's uh documentation system i've had to have discussions with my father about this um because he is in ill health and is very likely to not be around very soon and i have no idea how much he has but with the zombification of the stock market it could be it could be a lot more than i would ever foresee making in my entire life and as the eldest slash namesake child i am in charge of the estate so hopefully it doesn't get seized by bad paperwork because I could help do a lot with that if it is what is suspected. Absolutely. I would definitely help uh, ally myself with Humanity Forward Movement. That that would be amazing. You know, helping bankroll a few low-level politicians at the state and congressional levels for UBI advocacy. That'd be great. That would be, yeah. But again, it's entirely determinable. I have no clue. All I know is that as soon as as soon as anything happens with him, I have to, regardless of quarantine, probably either make a lot of calls or go all the way to Minnesota. So. Hooray! Oh. I feel that's a very hard situation to be in. Yeah, it, um, it's one of those things where it's like I, I'm sitting on this weird position of knowing exactly how things can go terribly, terribly wrong with this uh, depression and coronavirus and everything, but also be on the precipice of being one of the helpers. So it's like, if there is any benign or benevolent deity out there, hopefully it will be for the better and not the worse. Well, I like the idea of a benign uh, deity. Let, let, me, uh, let me help you out a little bit as well. The amazing automation that we're going to see is going to be ineffective on a handful of industries and one of those is luxury leisure having social lounges having uh places for people to hang out that's an incredibly ripe market that's going to be in existence for a few thousand years and i myself have already positioned myself to be in that expansion coming out of this crisis so i know exactly what you mean I, oh, I could I, very I, easily be one of the helpers. I, I tried to uh, get something like that set up in my hometown, but they were against it. But now the only businesses that are open is Walmart. 
and everything else is dying off either because of the coronavirus or because the uh, economy can't support a small business with over half of the 13,000 people in town living in retirement homes or living that on is, Social Security. That is going to be one of the silver linings of this deflationary spiral that the crisis is going to create is retail spaces, land, and uh, commercial uh, real estate is going to drop drastically in price, potentially allowing a lot of small entrepreneurs to try their idea in a cheap area. So if you find a retail space, just nab it and start start your lounge, man. Yeah, we could see I mean, just a renaissance of lounges and co- I mean, I mean, maybe a renaissance wouldn't be the right thing to call it. We could easily see a situation where there are just simply too many and almost all of them fail <laughs> because it is one of the few things people think they can do without training to be an entrepreneur in a new economy where they oh, can no, no, no. Any any business is training for entrepreneurship, and if anyone tries to build a business, great on them. You, like I 100% agree that the 90% fail rate is only in existence because a lot of unequipped and ill-prepared people created and bought a business license. But if you have a business model, like you already own the retail space, you have people coming in giving you cash then go ahead and buy a license and pay Big Brother his fair share. That's all a business license lets you do. Yeah, and that's yeah, why the statistic I, is is wildly, wildly weird. Ninety percent fail in the first year. Uh, what I'm saying is, in a, in a in a scenario where the market is even more narrow in terms of what kinds of businesses are now viable, and uh, there is an opportunity because of the drop in retail rent and the sudden addition of a potentially generous UBI, if we have just the right perfect storm, we could kind of see a scenario where, and it wouldn't be like a a tremendous uh, disaster, we could see a a little problematic scenario where there are just too many social spaces, too many people opening cafes, bars, and lounges, and not enough people to go to them. Actually, I don't really see that as a problem because starting and running and managing a business is a lot of work. I I don't want to underplay it. Managing all the specifics and knowing what you want to do and how you want to compete is hard work. And it's going to, yes, create a lot of nuisance businesses that won't be able to compete, but in through the competition, we'll see who comes out. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, market, I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that, that uh, starting a business is ever a, a bad idea. It, you may be ill-prepared for it. And that's why I recommend doing an LLC so that if you need to step away, all the liabilities can just collide on themselves. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's a bad idea. Um, I'm just saying there may be people who feel like they want to start a business for the first time, aren't sure what they want to do, and just sort of imitate each other, you know? And Jeremy's been posting stuff based upon what we've been talking about, Bubble Watch. Coronavirus cuts mall values by half. All real estate next. And Wait, what is this? Mall values in, by in, half? Yep. So the value, what what particular value are we talking about? The property value, the 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 yeah, the, it, it property would be value. the property value. Okay, that's interesting. As stores in a mall close due to lack of demand, the actual value oh, my, of holding yeah. a mall as real estate drops dramatically. It's not actually the ghost mall problem that Andrew Yang talked about. That's when malls have already collapsed and their value is decreasing the neighboring area. This is new malls and very um, uh, healthy 
malls in urban centers that are now dropping in value. And how how healthy can a mall be even before this? How healthy were these malls? You know, yeah, that's some debatable. of them were. It's um, debatable on sociological and psychological as well as economic uh, realms. I know um, from the personal experience of my area that I grew up in, in West Central Minnesota, there were a few malls, particularly strip malls, that were doing very terribly. And the mall in my hometown uh, is essentially just a movie theater at this point. But um, there are malls like the one, the West Acres Mall in Fargo, North Dakota, which has been doing fairly well for many years. Yes, uh, every once in a while when there's a larger chain that closes, um, like all of their stores, like Vanity and uh, others, uh, there is a lot of malls like that that were, you know, they were having a few places being, you know, removed, but then a local entrepreneur would open a new business in that location. Uh, when my wife and I went and stopped in Fargo on our way to uh, VGM Con at the beginning of March, um, we saw that they had just built a new um organic paleo um gluten-free you know high-end restaurant in the mall as the new like uh west entrance as well as best buy taking over the the sears space and uh a few other smaller clothing retailers taking over the space of vanity and prospering so i mean there's there's some that are doing poorly uh, some even in larger cities that are doing very poorly. And then there are those that are at least middling to doing, you know, survivably, at least before the coronavirus. Uh, now we're probably looking at <laughs> situations that are going to melt down the entirety of real retail. Uh, one sector that this is going to be very interesting in is healthcare insurance, because healthcare insurance as a sector was experiencing 20% per year inflation because of price gouging and stock manipulations. Now that they're actually having to pay up for hospitals to buy PPE and deal with a pandemic, uh, I'm sure Jeremy can find this article. There was one discussing how uh, insurance They're going to be asking for government buyouts real soon. Yeah, exactly. for sure. They're going to try to Insurance companies not were not built for a pandemic. And they're... they're <laughs> A lot of the smaller insurance companies are denying people care because they are, can't deal with the pandemic costs. So are you trying to position this as a reason why maybe going to a single-payer health care program like other first-world countries is actually a good idea? Because actually, a lot of these companies so are probably going time. to go away. <laughs> You reminded me of my point that I blacked out on earlier when I was talking about how Biden is too much of a boomer to see the current context. AOC let the cat out of the bag when she said, we're pushing for single payer, but we'll probably end up with a public option. She said that to reporters in a town hall. And Biden and his team still are saying public option because that's a strong negotiating tool. (laughs) That's not going mean, to, that's, I mean, it's another reason we're not going to get Biden. No one is excited about this, this milk toast compromise and exactly. we're going to get, you know, the, the terrible four more years of Trump. And then maybe in 2024, we'll get like some real health care. 
Looks like we've lost Don. Oh, here, he's back. Okay, we've been having a little technical problems. Yeah, I had to drop out and rejoin because uh, everything went mute. Well, I'm glad you're able to uh, to bring that up, Sheridan. It's so tired to hear that from AOC, who's just so disappointing now that she's gotten oh, in on she is, you know, a totally different platform than she, she is. She started acting. out as a real hardcore member of the squad when she first got elected, but as Andrew Yang describes it, countless bright-eyed people see the opportunism and want to build a career in D.C., and that is what AOC has become. She wants to build a career, and I, I can't blame her for that. It's an admirable thing to do, but unfortunately, the rest of the squad still want to fight for the people first, and that means taking unpopular opinions and making them mainstream, like Elon Omar backing a basic income. Oh, I'm proud of Elon Omar so much, being from my home state of Minnesota, and not only that, so being, from, being from a district in the Twin Cities that is overrun with corruption and uh, racism. I mean, it is great to see someone of her intellect and passion in Congress. It's great. It's just, like I said... Very sure it's a moot point. I just don't see a path to victory for Joe Biden. No, he's not. He's not going to win. It doesn't matter. It, the thing no. that I, the thing that I tried to impress onto Stevo in our Discord chat discussions was that Biden is not going to win no matter what. There, he is a bad candidate against Trump. In particular, because Trump is going to bring out all of the, you know, Ukraine stuff in the debates. He's going to bring all of that out. And with the coronavirus, we're already going to have lower lower turnout turnout because they're not going to be doing any of this. uh, You know, they're not going to allow mail in ballots because Trump's trying to say that mail in ballots are. That is completely state by state, my friend. Um, I know. Your state may not because they are pretty Republican. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Montana actually, I believe, does mail-in ballots to begin with because of how... Oh, that's amazing. But Um, no, I'm talking about the fact that he's been hammering on the fact that mail-in ballots are full of fraud. So there's a lot of people who will likely be pressing their their governments to not... Do mail-in ba- ballots? How even though absolutely ballots are ballots really. I want how, to how allow, if if I could for a moment, I want to of uh, course let our listenership know that Trump right now is building a counter narrative for his loss. Mm-hmm. If he is able to say the ballots were faked or whatever, he can potentially leverage political Try and make points a, and get yep. a, out That's a good of point. a loss. That's a good point. You know, so maybe if Trump hears a lot about that, that all he's doing. Yeah. Mail-in ballots are completely fine and secure. They would need to 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 instigate fraud. There would be a countlessly ridiculous cost to it, including jumping mail trucks. Oh yeah, jumping mail trucks. Please elaborate. Yeah. The way the mail-in ballot works is through our USPS postal system. It's an incredibly decentralized uh, way of getting ballots out to people. They would need to either jump trucks as they were leaving and fill them in and then somehow deliver them without the driver letting the USPS know, or 
they would need to counterfeit the ballots. And that's incredibly obvious to the uh, FEC. Yep. So So ballots are incredibly secure as a physical way of voting. There are states that do almost purely mail-in ballots. And of those, uh, out of large large numbers from the last uh, general presidential election in 2016, there was a handful of found fraudulent ballots. And most of them were fraudulent for reasons of the person was not registered to vote or the person no longer had the right to vote due to the uh, felony uh, laws. So it's not intended fraud, yeah. Yeah, disenfranchisement is a much bigger issue than fraud. Yeah, that's if not you can't vote, that's not fraud. But if you can't vote, that's just as good as counterfeiting a vote. Oh, yes. They want to have as few people vote as possible because they have exactly. admitted, they've admitted on broadcast television about how if there was a larger than 50% turnout and write-in ball- or mail-in ballots for the United States general election and midterm elections that Republican candidates, by and large, would not be able to get elected. Why? Because people are smarter than the fear that they're trying to give to everyone. uh, Jeremy is is doing amazing work behind the scenes and posting a bunch of links about how our voting machines are insecure and some states are more insecure than others. This is the biggest problem with... uh, digital voting as well. I am very much in favor of moving to a full digital system backed by blockchain security technology, but paper is the best option we have right now. Physically marking on paper and mailing it to the state is the most secure way to get your vote to the state. Could I ask you what uh, is stopping us from doing blockchain voting right now? Cost, cost and political issues. Um, for example, it would require the uh, congressional it would require Congress to create a new department to manage a government app in which uh, every single citizen that owns a smartphone would have this app and their phone would become part of the blockchain security system. And it would be an incredible political maneuvering to actually get the public's opinion, not even have the public vote on issues but to only have polls run through this app. But it would be an incredibly secure way to uh, get the people's opinion on the, a vast majority of issues, even if people don't have the most time. And, and the big thing that it would circumvent is all of the established polling methods and polling pollsters like every uh, news network and... You exactly. Know, all of that. And it would yeah. basically get rid of all of their money for lobbying to get those types of contracts, just like if we were to move to full digital, you know, primary debates. Because And at, all of these moves I, toward transparency cut out the tools of institutionalization that the establishment loves, that we've been hammering at for yes. this entire podcast. Yeah, if we were to have a moment where we said, okay, this is the sea change where we kicked out the establishment and reversed, like, you know, reversed voting patterns and changed everything. It would be if we instituted blockchain-based voting where everyone votes, I said voting, blockchain-based voting where everyone votes 
on their phones because we would literally see a reversal where old people don't have phones, don't know how to use phones, stop voting. And then young people who've never voted before don't want to go out into their city and navigate the ancient landscape. Or of, uh, more of realistically, <laughs> can't yeah. go out into their city because sure, they can't. people are very often, if they're low income, don't have a means of transport that can take them across the city or even neighborly over to a polling station. And states yeah, that we'd see them vote for the first time, people who have never gone to a polling station. And we states that part, always voted not vote for the first time. So go on. Yeah. States that participate heavily in voter disenfranchisement will limit voter voting locations and try to force people to stay at home because it's harder to get to the voting station. That's Just one like of the Wisconsin. biggest tools, the biggest what tools is, that, that the establishment used to limit the voting base. What has Wisconsin uh, done to that end, Don? If you were paying attention to the uh, Wisconsin primary that cemented Biden as the uh, choice for the Democrats because people were turned away from voting stations, they were given last minute changes in their polling location. Um, all, there was a lot of shady things going on where yeah, they were closing off uh, polling locations for people and forcing them to go elsewhere or limiting the amount of people who could vote at one location. And it was just, it was bullshit. It, it, and it's happened nationwide in larger cities as far back as I have been able to vote in uh, 2006. So. I think most of us have seen the pictures of, of uh, you know, Wisconsin voters wearing uh, protective masks, standing six feet, of, six feet apart in the dark, stretched as far as the eye can see, waiting hours on end to vote. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to uh, let our listenership know that that six feet is the American recommendation. Some studies have put out that it may be even larger, like a 12 foot to 15 foot distance that you might want to maintain. I've heard as much as a uh, 20 foot, especially because of the projectile of a sneeze is typically the aerosol, the particles from a sneeze can go, you know, 20 to 30 feet. So you you can wind up contaminated very easily if you're around people who are sneezing and don't cover it up. Um, There's also been the evidence that they have found that our two-week quarantines and lockdowns is not going to be enough to do this. It takes at least a month for some people to show symptoms, and some people are asymptomatic. And so we're looking at needing to be completely locked down for, you know, four to six months. And yes, Jeremy's posting about the uh, Tim Canava being uh, not given his rightful win because of voter fraud in Broward County uh, destroying ballots in, is that Florida? Florida would be Broward County. Yes. Uh, Florida, just the absolute best at voter suppression and fraud in America. I mean, for anyone who's under the age of 60. Yeah. Well, even, even then, like Florida is incredibly disenfranchising and has amazing gerrymandering. It's amazing gerrymandering. Yes. For you cut off at the end, but yeah. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. Gerrymandering. And that's, do you, do you want to comment on the specifics of Florida's amazing gerrymandering? Oh man, just 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 look at the voting districts. It's it's yeah. hysterical. 
Yeah, and you know, we get some interesting results out of Florida every single election, so it's clearly something unorthodox going on there. Yeah, that's All why that. I say I have no idea what the Electoral College is going to do, because some people have put the Electoral College as Florida voting for Biden, but I have a hard time believing that with, with as oh, people it's, going it's out Florida's Florida Trump. beaches. I know, right? Florida's Trump, California's going to go to Trump, and here's why. Because all of the places that would be pro-Biden or anti-Trump are currently some of the worst locations in the state of uh, California for uh, all of the, uh, what is it, uh, coronavirus cases and a lot of the hardcore lockdowns. So if we're still dealing with coronavirus come the end of the year, just like you said before, a lot of Trumpers are going to go out to the polls and actually vote because they are not afraid they think that it's a hoax etc etc and a lot of democratic voters are not going to vote purely because they don't want to die that is that is true for the polling places but california does have a mail-in ballot and they also have an interesting law that manipulates the electoral college there they are part of i believe 30 other states that will take their popular vote and put all their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely different to see how things will shape up with this. But again, we have many months before November. Uh, Trump is known to have you know high blood pressure. He's obese. Uh, he has had habits with uh, uppers in the past, and obviously has been running on very little sleep uh, and is in cognitive decline. We have Biden, who's in cognitive decline and has basically said that he's, uh, you know, unofficially that he's not going to survive his first term. So he's trying to pick a good, a good VP. Yeah. <laughs> like if you know you're not going to, if you know that you're not going to survive your first term, why are you even still in the race? That's yeah, my the, question. The day Biden looked at the floor and mumbled that his VP would be ready to take over for his position immediately was really a high point for the DNC. I am sure you were saying. Oh, and this. now he's the nominee, right? I, mean, I, just I, want not, to... I am not convinced that he is going to survive to November, and I'm very not convinced that. Trump is going to survive till November because right well, Trump now Trump is too evil to die. He's 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 got oh, the heart you of a say monster. that you you he, say he, that his his demon heart will definitely absorb all the all the uppers you, and all the you, McDonald's you, and he'll just <laughs> he'll just tower tower over everything and be I don't know. See, his like you say that you say that but uh, what was the dude in Canada Ford who was you know uh, based was, on cocaine yeah, the mayor and, of Toronto. Meth, and yeah he he's he was Trump he was very Trumpy did he die? And, yeah did he yes he did he died yeah I think I remember hearing he, he died of a heart attack because he was, yeah uh, he was so. a bit Trumpy but I mean this is America I, and, and I really Trump love has an American heart <laughs> I don't know I, I really love no 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 Jeremy we, right because he just posted a New York Post article headlined, Democrats want to drop Joe Biden for Andrew Cuomo. And last That is week, just as bad, if we, not yeah, worse. We were, we were almost so, the same group discussing how Andrew Cuomo is only a mediocre leader at best, when we should be considering Andrew Yang to unsuspend. 
Well, of course, but it's the neoliberals who are selecting their candidates. And Andrew true, Cuomo is, is you know, dyed in the wool. Neoliberal Andrew Cuomo is Joe Biden, but, you know, younger. younger. Uh, <laughs> and he, but here's the thing. He said himself he will not run. Cuomo has said point blank in the New York fashion, no. He had an interview with his brother where he, the whole point of the little interview was just to get across the idea that he is not running. He's not thinking about running. He will never consider it. So it's funny that oh, God. even putting that out, we're still seeing all this speculation. What do you guys think? It's, oh, God. I just realized that um, the job of a journalist is to put out articles that hopefully someone will read and generate ad revenue at this point. Pretty they're, much. They're not getting any real value. And if we had the American scorecard paying out taxes for good journalism, we might actually get something of substance coming out of the New York Post, the New I York mean, Times, the New York anything. At this point, it media, all media is suspect unless it's NPR because they even NPR are not. They're underwritten. Yeah. NPR has the same problems. That they are just as beholden to ad revenue as every other media organization. While they do select better workers, that doesn't eliminate their bias. And oh, it no, it doesn't eliminate during, it, but it was shown heavily doing during good. the early primary when Andrew Yang was surging. They actually took plenty of pot shots at him. Yeah, they have the CNN bias, pretty much. They have a lot of the same people giving them money. And uh, every single radio station in the United States, with the exception of one, is underwritten. And that one is WFMU. Which you can hear at WFMU.org yeah. if you're curious. I yeah, love you guys that know that one? Me too. It's I good. love WFMU. So. They're, they're good. They do good work. So you're saying that if I want to get any decent uh, information, I have to go to the BBC or uh, Young Turks? Well, I do. Young, uh, Young Turks isn't media. either. Young Turks is, is beholden to the exact same dollars. They even shut down their own union because of their own dollars. Let me Everyone tell you how is I having a hard Turks. time in this grotesque, greed-based capitalism. I we, think we late see, stage yeah. capitalism is bad. It's it's not late stage. The, the, the capitalism is a very flexible ideology, but this is a grotesque version of it, and everyone's coming to terms with that. Well, I mean, uh, on the positive note, at least there's not articles talking about. Uh, Biden picking Hillary for his VP nom. <laughs> I, I saw some, I think it was oh. an Onion article that said the uh, DNC rejects Biden as the nominee and nominates Hillary Clinton. You know, I, I think that would be hilarious. The Onion might that. actually be onto something there, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, like, it could happen. I could see at the, at the convention them just appointing Clinton. I can see it happening. Why wouldn't they? When have they ever learned anything? I mean, the, the, the number one person that they're proposing is Warren, which is just as bad. Yeah. Um, I think they, they she, is, she is a well, progressive in uh, her attempts, but so, she so is on, very I'm not, neoliberal. I'm not sure if you've heard my comparison of uh, Warren before. I've called her a neoliberal centrist drenched in progresso sauce. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. analogy. She, so, she's, she's, she's wearing the self-tanner of uh, Trump, but instead of self-tanner, that is progressive. So it's only, it's only visible on her skin and can wash off in the shower. Yeah, she has this progressive branding without actually really doing anything she's, progressive. Uh, she's she, had a she's few as, progressive things she did in the past, but, but there's really nothing particularly progressive she's done since. 
Jeremy so, says money for VP is on Kamala. I mean, I would not put it past uh, Biden because I, I don't Kamala think we should go speculating on such a, a useless more... topic because <laughs> we know the VP is really the crucial thing, and and I don't think we need to waste time speculating on that. No, the DNC is going to pick whoever is most viable as a presidential candidate that's not Biden because of n- knowledge of his health and ugh. You know, if they do appoint Warren, way to pick the person that the that the Bernie Sanders coalition dislikes more than Biden. What are they doing? I, I completely agree. It, it, the, the smartest thing they could probably do as a leadership organization for a country of 300 million people would be to nominate Andrew Yang as the VP. Well, hold on. That's but not that will them. never happen. Because then they have to see the other people given the opportunities to do what they did, will do what they did, and then they'll have to come in terms of the fact that they weren't born special and they're not inherently better than other people and they can't handle that. But the well, thing the is, that they'd actually win. Is, yeah, they'd actually win, first but off. Winning is but not as important as maintaining their worldview to them, I would, I would assert. I, I can agree with that, because this would take a worldview change. They would have to recognize that they need to get Medicare for All and not just a public option. They need a robust a robust subsidies to hospitals essentially and a basic income to everyone and most critically coming to terms that the way we measure our economy doesn't work for most americans no and it we does need not to change how we measure what success is it's not greed and wealth accumulation we all are mature enough to recognize that we need to start measuring real human desires and put our philosophers and liberal arts majors to work. I'm ready to go to work. I'm actually probably going to spend part of my weekend that I'm not prepping for speedrun marathons to uh, start writing uh, things for political purposes, because no matter what, I'm probably going to be running for some sort of representative Wherever I wind up in two years, I need Fantastic. to prepare. And, uh, for that. I'm, I'm, I'm even more generous than that, Diston. Diston, you are definitely one of the employers that could really take advantage of the capitalistic system. I'm talking about people who will just get paid the lower middle class basic income and get phone calls from our Department of Measurement asking, "How's your life as a citizen?" That's that's the work. Yeah, right now, I, I don't need a lot. My wife is a salaried teacher who is guaranteed her salary through the end of next school year because of contracts. That means that we're getting $2,000 a month regardless. So an extra you know, five to $800 a month is all I need. So if I was running a business, that's what I'd give myself as a salary. It'd be way lower than minimum wage, yes. But guess what? It would be, uh, be great that you could do. You'd have the potential to run a business, uh, contribute to society, and still pay yourself just that modest amount and be okay. That sounds like it's just a better setup than what we have right now. And then my employees would prosper. Exactly, but but no one wants to change the system in a fundamental way that would allow for that. Because it's still profitable to watch the mess than to fix the mess, and exactly. pretty oh, yeah. soon it's going to be profitable to fix the mess. Well, I hope so. I mean, like, it seemed like it was going to get there sooner. If they hadn't done the quantitative easing, I think we we could be there about now. We'd be really close. Nah. I'm I'm no? really glad that they flexed the American dollar the way they have because 
this was unprecedented. This is a vitamin yes. (laughs) Pretty much because uh, the old argument that uh, we can't pay for this is is blown out of proportion. That's true. I've been radicalized. They put put $3 trillion total in the last month into quantitative easing. When and that's for not even half that, for half, yeah, for half of that, they could have expelled all student debt. For half of that, they could have given every American in the United States over a thousand dollars a month for the next year. But I keep nope. saying it, we I have to do an episode agree. on quantitative easing. We have to get some quantitative easing experts on and just do an episode, and we can all sit here and well, the mics and listen to them. What 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 they would be is economic economists who specialize in modern monetary theory because that's what yeah. quantitative easing is based off of yeah we should probably um, the amazing thing that this has been shown especially the way our federal government did it by putting it solely into the banking system and into large and not into and not allowing, into any of us uh, 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 and allowing crumbs to fall into every american filing americans bank account I do recognize that they are crumbs, though, compared to the trillions that have been printed for banking institutions to buy junk assets. Hold up a minute. I need to check but to see if my mine's in yet, and I've probably been, not. I've been radicalized to the point to recognize that modern monetary theory is 100% true. Taxes pay for nothing. The only thing taxes do is control inflation. The oh, government yeah. can print all the money they need to inspire whoever they need to do whatever work they need. And they can do that ad infinitum with no consequence on debt because they're cur- a currency creator. And if we properly recognize that we just need to get money into people's hands to fully utilize the power of the American currency, we can go so, so, so far. Don't worry. I'm only going to be borrowing some of your crib notes when I start writing this weekend. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's ideas that I've had for a while because I know that we have a fiat currency. Uh, no currency is, uh, is based on real anything anymore. We dropped the gold standard for a reason, and that reason was monet- modern monetary you know, theory. Uh, actually, the, the reason we dropped the gold standard in the 70s was to forge the credit system. And to institutionalize the speculation that banking industries were doing on individuals. That's how we got the big three crediting institutions. Was it as recent as the 70s that we dropped the gold standard? Yes, the 70s is when we, I believe 71 is when we left the gold standard. This is news to me. I really thought that happened far prior to that. No, no, no. It it happened um, under Nixon. Um, that's one of the biggest reasons the civil rights movement kept its fire. The biggest reason the family assistance act almost passed giving every family household a basic income. We almost had that because we left the credit, the gold standard. Yeah. You've squared the circle for me. Like now I see the connection that that's why they did it. So they could give us a basic income. Well, we should finish Nixon's work, huh? (laughs) We really should because I'm, I'm shocked that it's taking, taking what 40 years of speculation and credit dumping to, to recognize that we can just use cash as cash as it was intended to be. Mm, I know, know, right? (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, you know what's Welcome funny? Back. Nixon said that he's not a crook, and he was telling the truth. He was – if you want to pass this plan, if you want to do the, these things for families, he was not a crook. Uh, and all the, the crooks – that was that very specifically out. in reference to his paranoia. I, yeah. I, I have to admit, Nixon fell very hard to his paranoia right. because he was going to win the next election. He had no reason to do what he did out of anything but paranoia. Oh, yeah. Well, so, who wouldn't be paranoid when you're dealing with people's terribles? <laughs> that sometimes, I don't know. But yeah, you're I right. I can admit it. It would be paranoia inducing, but he could have he could have been a stronger man and and gotten the bill across. Right. No, but but I mean, like like the like he says he's not a crook, and it's like if he like it, it seems like the real crooks are the ones who do the speculation and everything that's that's kind of talked about. And yeah, like like that's the thing. Like money is intended to be money. It's all this like voodoo with the, you know, the, this the financialization of it, our economy has completely screwed it up. Voodoo there's economics. A, there's a uh, great economist, uh, Marina Mazzucato, who discusses the distinct categories of economic actors, production proprietors, and sterile owners. And she properly posits that the real growth we've been seeing is over the past couple of decades is almost entirely debt fueled speculation by financial institutions. And since we're running on a fiat currency, all that debt is as imaginary as our currency. Right. And we could just declare that the debt is no more. Right. But then who would profit? We would. And screw all the sterile, valueless, uh, non-value creating jerks, and just you know, dump them off a cliff. On it. <laughs> like, I, I actually think it should be far simpler than that because we still like the point system we've generated. We just need to bring it back down to fundamental basics. We we need to empower citizens to have cash flow and to spend it on other citizens create more income and still allow our financial institutions with major taxes and limitations to continue operating the way they normally do. As long as we increase taxes and we start targeting a slight deflation, they actually have fewer incentives to ratchet up their debt load because debt becomes so much harder to deal with in a deflationary context. Right. It's about 18 after the hour. Should we call it here? Yes. Yes, I believe we should. I have, I have well, uh, so much stuff to do. Coming. But this was a great episode. Thank you for sharing sh- sh- so much of your, your insight, Sheridan. Don, this was really good. Uh, we've not gotten to talk to you this, this much for a while. This was a good topic. So um, why don't we just say goodbye really quickly. Uh, we'll go from the bottom of the room, starting with you, Sheridan. If you could just say goodbye on your Twitter handle. Thank you much. Yeah. Goodbye, Yang Gang Roundtable audience. I'm glad you could listen to us bicker and moan about the federal government. I am found on Twitter <laughs> at J Saber Gamer, J S A B E R G A M E R. And you can find me on Instagram at not.public.420. And this, Don. 
Uh, I have been Dizdon. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube at Dizdon Plays. That's D I S D O N N P L A Y S, all lowercase. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, you did not get too upset at my lack of faith in the DNC. I don't think anybody who's uh, listening got too upset. Uh, I'm, no, a registered, I'm a registered Democrat, and I've lost all faith in the DNC. Oh yeah, me me too. I uh yeah. Ariel, do you wanna give your sign off? <laughs> yeah, my name's Ariel. You can find me on Twitter handle Ariel's underscore Armada. And you can find me on YouTube as Revolutionary Thinking. And yeah, I hope you had a great time listening. And I am Shale S H A E L R I L E Y on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you again. Be very careful out there. Wash your hands. Maintain six to 12 feet. Six, six feet may not be enough. That's what we learned today. So we'll see you again. Take care. I got to go check my mail and see if my... Stay uh, home. Yeah, wash your hands. Money. Shop alone. Take money from the oh, government. Yeah. Take money from the government. <laughs> that, that's, that's the best thing you can do right now. <laughs> you deserve yep. it. Hey, you, you, you deserve it. You deserve it. All right.